0: Now to uh, pray together. Father God, we thank you that we can come before you this morning and you listen to us. You want to hear from us. You want us to be in your presence. We thank you that you're a loving and a gracious Heavenly Father who, though so great, though so righteous and holy and awesome, is so desperately interested in us father we thank you that we can come before you this morning maybe not having all the answers maybe not knowing exactly everything we want or need to ask for but we thank you lord jesus that we come before you this morning and actually we don't have to frantically try to get the right words together the right requests Uh, as if it depends upon that, but actually we can know and trust that you actually know what we need already and are already interceding for us before our Father. And so we thank you that we can come to you this morning actually in our weakness and depending on your fullness. Father, we thank you for how you have helped us and held us together through the last 18 months or so that have been challenging in so many different ways for us. And Each of us will have faced different obstacles and different challenges within that. And yet each of us has known your hand caring for us and carrying us and providing for us in those moments. Father, we thank you for having held us together. Father, we thank you that even in the uh, most difficult moments, we know that you know our needs. We know that you are there for us. And Lord, we know that you work all things together for the good of those who love you. And Lord, we thank you for that hope and that security, that promise that we have, that we are never alone. Though sometimes maybe we do feel that and we maybe do wonder, we are never left alone by you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness towards us. Father, we thank you that you've placed us here, not on our own as a church, but as part of a family of churches through Didasco. And so Lord, we remember those other churches this morning as they meet across Uh, this country. Lord, we particularly remember Edinburgh uh, North this morning. Lord, we ask for your grace and your mercy and your presence to be powerfully with them as they have experienced illness and grief in their church family. Lord, we pray that you might bring encouragement and an uplifting to their spirits, Lord, uh, for those who are downcast. Father, we thank you for the encouragement that they've had in moving to a new venue. And Lord, we pray for uh, two young women who have been visiting over the last uh, month with uh, different uh, hurtful experiences that they're still processing. Lord, we thank you for the way in which they found a welcome at Edinburgh North and uh, uh, finding their feet there amongst that community. And Lord, we just pray that your grace and encouragement would continue to be known for those two young women. Lord, we thank you for the appointment of a new minister in training, Rob Cardew, and pray for uh, Rob and Fern and uh, their family. They've just had a a, a child recently too. Lord, we pray that uh, you would bless them as a young family and being in this new church and serving the people there. Lord, we pray that you might grant them your grace and your favour. And Lord, we uh, pray for Edinburgh North as they ask here for, as they think about trying to find perhaps a a long-term home. Lord, we pray for your wisdom and and guidance in uh, that search that, um, Lord, you might somehow supply uh, every need that they have. Lord, we also think of the Tron in Glasgow and give thanks for the recovery of Charlene McCutcheon, who had been very seriously ill in in ITU after um, her baby being delivered prematurely. Father, we thank you for your grace uh, being seen in in that healing and and restoration there Lord we thank you uh, so much and just remember uh, that young family as well we'll pray that you would bless them uh, and that even though the perhaps the entrance to the world has been a little bit dramatic uh, that Lord's uh, those early days of of enjoying those moments together would be really precious for them and that you would be there uh, with them in those well, we thank you for the new students that have uh, been arriving and, and taking part in Release the Word and enjoying not only opening the Word together, but some of the normality of just seeing people and eating together. And we pray, as, as the Tron asks for here, that uh, many of those students will will stick with the Tron there and will be able to be part of the life of the fellowship there, not only at Release the Word, but throughout the week. Uh, and that in their time there as students in Glasgow, they'll be uh, blessed and encouraged and equipped to be able to be uh, your people out in the world. And Lord, we're also thankful for the uh, new services that have been launched and um, the good attendance of those and the children's work too. Father, we thank you that you're at work in so many different places across this uh, country and beyond. And Lord, we thank you that we are, just one small part of that and so Lord we just remember these other brothers and sisters across this country but of course actually all across the globe um, today as they will also in different ways and different contexts uh, be seeking to come together to worship you and encourage one another in their faith Lord we remember them and pray that you would be with them and especially those brothers and sisters, Lord, in parts of the world in which that is a very challenging thing to do, that simply to name the name of Jesus and to gather together under your name is is a dangerous thing. Lord, we pray your blessing and protection especially upon those. Lord, we lift up finally our world to you, in which we know there are increasing uh, tensions, long-running ones, and ones that seem to keep flashing up here and there. Lord, we think of the increased tensions around arms being tested by North Korea and China and potential responses from other places and uh, different political manoeuvrings. Lord, we're aware that the peace and the stability of our world is so very fragile and Lord, we pray for wisdom and grace and patience uh, for those leaders uh, all across the world, Lord to be able to find ways in which we can live together in peace and and each flourish. Lord, we think of the issues around climate change and trying to live responsibly on the earth that you've given us, and uh, we've clearly not done a a very good job at that. And Lord, just pray for your wisdom and guidance in knowing how we might better uh, be able to live uh, in, in a way that is good for the earth you've given us, but also good for everybody upon this earth Lord we know that there are some ways in which countries with much much more uh, live in patterns that are very harmful to those with the least and that is surely not right and so Lord we ask for your help your wisdom guidance courage to be able to make right decisions that will be able to uh, correct some of those wrongs and be able to live in a way that the world works for everyone And Lord, we think of those places um, that are struggling with great poverty and inequality and again ask Lord that there might be able to be relief and freedom for those who are suffering under poverty, suffering at times through no real fault of their own but other than the the fact that the world is, is somewhat broken and its systems too that are not always fair, not always right, not always just. Lord, we grieve at that and pray that there might be change within that or might you help us to see where we might be some small part of that and Lord we think of where that happens even closer to home that we know even in our own city that we experience great uh, struggles and difficulties with uh, with substances and and with poverty Lord and that there are many people who are trapped in really desperate situations because of uh, one or indeed even both of those things and Lord we think of those who are doing work to try to relieve that and pray your your grace and favour upon those. Lord, uh, we've heard this morning of uh, one organisation, Signpost, and their work in trying to help with uh, food waste and, and uh, with food poverty. And Lord, pray for your grace and favour to be uh, upon that project and others, Lord, that are seeking to help people who um, at times are in very desperate places. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your provision towards us that for most of us um, we we really do have so much and we are so fortunate and we do thank you for that and don't want to take that for granted but lord also help us to see where we might be able to give from all that you have given to us that we might be able to express something of your love and your grace for those that you put us around lord help us not to turn a, a blind eye to those in need, and Lord, to be generous-hearted with all that you've given us. Lord, we lift up all these things and all the other things that have not come to mind, but perhaps ought to have, Lord, all the different concerns that we have. Lord, we lift to you. I'm thankful that you listen to us and that you answer. And so, Lord, as we just seek to continue in worship now, we pray that you would help us to hear your voice as we come to your word, to speak to us again to shape our hearts and to direct our steps. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you might speak through me and that you might bring a word to life for us now. For your glory and for our good, we ask it. Amen. I'm going to invite you there just to, um, if you're able to, to keep that um, passage open uh, before you from Jonah chapter 4, and we'll be looking at that together in a few moments, and it, it forms part of um, one of our series that we've been going through over the past couple of months, where we're thinking about what it looks like to live well. That's the thing we've been thinking about, isn't it? In a time in which the temptation is, and what we hear frequently, isn't it, is about returning to normal, getting back to normality. Some people really pleased at that, and others a little bit worried about that but that's the discussion isn't it well what would it look like instead to seek to live well not to just go back to exactly how we were with all of the different ways in which actually life was very dysfunctional but actually to live well and so this morning in this story about Jonah what we'll think about is anger and letting anger go Angry people are not always wise. So we read in Pride and Prejudice. Uh, happens in a moment where a character, Miss uh, Bingley, is, is a love rival to Elizabeth, really the main character, and begins to attack Elizabeth when she fears that Mr. Darcy might, after all, actually love Elizabeth and not her. And so this is the pithy summary of her mean attacks, that angry people... Are not always wise. And this might be a fitting summary for the story of Jonah. And it is true just as much for you and me. Angry people are not always wise. Anger is not always wrong. In fact, sometimes it's very right. There is a just anger at times, but it's an emotion that we struggle with. Control. That's why the Bible would teach not to sin in your anger. That is, that it's important to be angry at the right times, in the right way, the right things. And yet, we rarely manage that. So that anger becomes for us a, a very destructive emotion, doesn't it? And actually, ironically, Destructive just as much for us as for others. Jonah is someone who is angry at the wrong things in the wrong way. Needing to let it go. And yet he's a picture of you and me. So I want to show you three things just in this story this morning. I want to look at when you're angry for the wrong reasons. When anger robs you of life. And when anger makes you lose perspective. Uh, I found uh, in recent weeks uh, a brilliant social media thread uh, called Why My Kid's Crying. Sometimes we find in life that we're angry for all the wrong reasons. And sometimes we can only really admit it, if ever, uh, afterwards. But this is a great example of being wrong, uh, of being angry at the wrong Things and you can see some of these uh, pictures here that parents have submitted, and some of you will feel that sort of real sort of pain of this is the reality of sort of a, uh, daily life, isn't it? Here, the child wasn't allowed to electrocute himself. Sometimes life can be very unfair, can't it? Uh, the mother had said good morning to the child. Some some people really are not morning people, are they? Uh, one child there w- was upset because he wouldn't, wasn't allowed to lick the doormat. Uh, One poor lad thought if he coloured himself in green, he'd become the Hulk, and was desperately disappointed to be informed that wasn't the case. Uh, One girl there, upset because she was told Darth Vader was actually the bad guy. Uh, One here, uh, angry because she was told her sweater looks so soft and comfy. No one likes to be patronised, do they, really? Uh, One here who's, who's crying because she walked in on me changing. It's a, a terrible for your self-confidence, I've found. Uh, one stuck in the toilet who just doesn't want to come out with a toilet bowl. Uh, and one angry because he couldn't fit all the crayons in one hand. You know, it's easy to be angry, isn't it? It's not so easy to be angry at the right things. Aristotle puts it like this. Every now and again, i like to throw in a couple of sort of cultured references for you there. Aristotle says, anybody can become angry, that is easy. But to be angry with the right person, and to the right degree, and at the right time, and for the right purpose, and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power, and is not easy. Jonah shows us an example of someone being angry for the wrong reasons. Look at verse 1 there. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What was it that had displeased Jonah so much? Well, if you're able to there, you can cast your eyes up to verse 10 of chapter 3, just the previous verse. When God saw what they did, that is that Nineveh repented, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he'd said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But that displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. God had relented because Nineveh had repented. So why is Jonah angry? We're left to fill in the blanks, aren't we? This is a mission that Jonah had not wanted to be given. Jonah, a prophet of God in the northern kingdom of Israel and had been doing so for some time and seen no results from that. Here he is now, his comfort disrupted as God comes to him and calls him out to go to Nineveh. And Jonah doesn't want to do it. These, uh, Nineveh, a city of Assyria, these are the people who are the enemies of the people of God. These are people as well, actually, who are not very nice People, in fact, actually, there's some of the meanest war crimes committed were committed by Syria. You can see, in a way, why Jonah would not really be itching to get up and to go to Nineveh. And so, what does Jonah do in response to God's call? Well, he goes as far as he possibly can in the other direction. In fact, he goes a distance of around about 2,500 miles westwards. Uh, away from Nineveh, actually really a short journey away from Jerusalem. In fact, the very, very outer edges of the known world for Jonah at the time. He doesn't want to go. And yet he's wound up there and eventually has gone and has brought God's message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The people have repented, and now he is angry. Why? Because Jonah wanted them to die. That's a difficult thing to have to express, isn't it? See, there's the thing. Not everything that's recorded in the Bible, not every instance of every character, is recorded there as something heroic for you to follow. awful lot of it isn't but it's recording what happened jonah wanted them to die it displeased jonah exceedingly in fact actually the translation there from the the original hebrew is actually he saw it as exceedingly evil that's the word he saw what God had done in relenting, because Nineveh had repented, as being evil. This is so much more than just displeasure. Jonah is opposing God. You see that? What, what you've done here, God, is not good, is not right, It's not perfect. He is opposing God. Tim Keller puts in his uh, little book here on, on Jonah, the prodigal prophet, that there seems to be, for Jonah here, a contradiction between the justice of God and the love of God. He knew that God loved Israel and extended his mercy to his chosen people. He felt in the very marrow of his bones that this special love of God should not be extended to Gentiles, above all to evil Gentiles such as the inhabitants of Nineveh. You see, though, what Jonah is doing is not just opposing God. What Jonah is doing is speaking an anti-gospel. You see that? That He's, he's speaking a, com- a completely different, a counter-narrative to the narrative of God. God, in his grace, has relented from his anger against the Ninevites because they've repented from what they've done. They've turned away. And that was enough. For Jonah, I suppose he might have looked at it and said, well, all they've done is said that they're going to change. You you haven't given the time yet to see whether they really will change. We haven't really seen what they're going to do. We haven't seen them put their money where their mouth is. How do you know that they're going to change? So what Jonah begins to live and to speak out here is an anti-gospel. It's going against What God is saying is saying that God is wrong, that he's not good, he's not right, he's not perfect in having forgiven the Ninevites. And he was angry. Actually, the word is—it it doesn't do justice to it. And this is always the difficulty, isn't it, of, of translating words, isn't it? That the, a word that you might use in another language, you try to put it into English, and it, it's not always got exactly the same meaning and all the same sort of nuances. And here, this word is an active word. It's—it's it's not just sort of anger as just like a sort of feeling and thought. It's an active thing of that. That Jonah was kindled, that he burnt, that he was glowing with anger. That in a way, we might sort of put it today, that he was seething. He was simmering. Don't you know that feeling? Haven't you been there? Simmering with anger. Seething. When was the last time you were there? You know, it had seemed, and if the book of Jonah had stopped at chapter 2, and very often in our memories the story of Jonah ends at the end of chapter 2 where Jonah has been swallowed by the big fish and God has miraculously saved him through that but also delivered him to then go and do the that he told him to do in the first place and Jonah gives this great sounding prayer doesn't he of repentance and it would seem as though oh well here's the turnaround Jonah has seen the error of his ways and he's turned back to God and he's now obeying him and so now we find out maybe he hadn't repented after all isn't this what I said when I was in my country we start to get a hint that perhaps his prayer there wasn't 100% genuine. Perhaps this prayer wasn't such a moment of sort of clarity and repentance and triumph that we might have thought. Otherwise, how does Jonah have such a great moment only to follow it immediately with this? Is it that perhaps in his prayer, he's more sorry that he's made a mess? Sorry so he can get what he wants at the end of it look at what Jonah's hope is in that prayer by the way look at chapter two there if you can and look at how he repeats this three times in this prayer and you get an inkling of what Jonah is really after from God what it is he's really thankful for here it's in verse four seven and nine then I said I'm driven away from your sight yet I shall again look upon your holy temple Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And verse 9, but with I with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah's hope is that he'll get back to Jerusalem. Jonah is sorry so that he'll get back to Jerusalem. God had told him, go to Nineveh. Jonah's hope is, you'll save me, and I'll get back to Jerusalem. He's sorry, so that God may give him that. And yet, don't you know something of what Jonah's doing? Haven't you done that too? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Suddenly, is defending himself again. You know, that's the moment you start to know that you haven't yet truly repented. You haven't yet changed so much. When the first thing that doesn't go your way, and you're back to defending yourself. This is why I did it. That's why I went to Tarshish I knew you'd do this you're a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster and this is all true this is all what God says of himself you can read of that in Exodus 34 as well this is a great accurate picture of who God is he's gracious merciful slow to anger abounding in steadfast love relenting from disaster so why on earth would this be bad why would this anger Jonah so much Jonah's problem isn't that he doesn't know God. That's not his problem. But that he doesn't like what he does know of God. The problem for Nineveh is they don't know of God. Says that right at the end, doesn't he? There's 120,000 people here who don't know their left hand from their right hand. They don't know. Jonah knows. But he doesn't like what he does know. Jonah is happy when he benefits from God's grace, but angry when Nineveh does. Because he deserves it. I deserve it. I'm of the people of Israel. I deserve for God to be good to me. But those people of Nineveh, they don't deserve it the same way. Then look at Jonah's response here, verse 3. Take my life. It is better for me to die than to live. So Jonah, in verse 1 there, has been exceedingly displeased with God. In fact, actually, really, he finds what God has uh, done to be exceedingly evil. And so now there's a play with words here. Take my life. It's better, or actually the word could be good. It was evil for God to forgive them and relent. It is good now for me to die rather than live. So the Lord says to him, verse 4 here, Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Is this really helping you live, Jonah? How about you? In your anger, is that helping you to live? In Jonah's anger, where God's uh, forgiveness for people, that he doesn't want to see forgiven. He doesn't want to be forgiven. He's made God to be evil. Jonah's angry for the wrong reasons. I'm sure you don't know anything of what that might feel like. Secondly, though, what we see is how anger robs you of life. This is put across great in a a recent song by an artist called Sam Fender. He sings, I was far too scared to hit him, but I'd hit him in a heartbeat now. That's the thing with anger. It begs to stick around so it can fleece you of your beauty and leave you spent without to offer. It makes you hurt the ones you love. Jonah is robbed of his life by his anger. Look at this verse five there. Jonah went out. Of the city. A good missionary would have seen the repentance of people here and wanted to stay to encourage this and to disciple them and to build them up in their faith. And yet Jonah sees this as the point to leave. Why? Because he didn't want them to repent and be saved. Do you know? I bet Jonah actually really liked preaching the sermon that he did give. Yet 40 days and Nineveh Nineveh shall be overthrown. I imagine he loved that part of the sermon and I imagine he didn't say too much else because that's the part that he wanted to see happen. He didn't mind God giving that message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's great. But now you're not doing it. You're not so happy. Jonah goes out of the city. And he made a booth there till he should see what would become of the city. He goes to watch what will happen. Look how messed up that is. wants to go and have a front row seat of the destruction. Jonah's anger so consumes him. He's now ready to so dehumanize others and himself that he'd sit there to watch the apocalypse. And yet, look at God's grace towards him, verse 6. God appointed a plant that it might be a shade over him to save him from his discomfort. And again, there's a play with words there. We've talked about Jonah seeing God's uh, act of relenting from his anger because Ninevites repented and forgiving them as evil. and He thinks that it will be good for him now to die. And now there's a play with words there again that God is saving him from his discomfort. Again, actually the word is evil that God would now save Jonah from his own evil. The discomfort he's bringing upon himself unnecessarily. Jonah has called God evil for having compassion on Nineveh, yet the real evil is Jonah's discompassion. And yet, God saves Jonah from the evil he brought upon himself, that he built up within himself. Because God saves those who don't deserve it. And that all those that he saves didn't deserve it. The Nidavis who who really messed up but didn't really know better, and Jonah, who knows better but can't seem to be able to live in line with what he knows. God would be willing to save both. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Jonah is so happy about it, actually too happy. Again, there's that play with words again. Jonah is now exceedingly glad because of the plant being provided for him, whereas he had been exceedingly mad at God's grace. And do you see how he's completely lost all sense of perspective? Does anger ever do that to you? That you find yourself overreacting to something? Do you find yourself actually reacting to the wrong things? Do you find actually that your emotions are controlling you, not you controlling them? Jonah loved the plant, the object. This can happen, can't it? We grow attachments that are not right to things. I had a friend once who was a travelling salesman and uh, he, he really didn't enjoy the job but one of the few perks was he got a sort of rather flashy car from it uh, and he was really pleased with this car, you know, it often sort of come up in conversation and things, any excuse to sort of get to give you a lift in it or whatever and get to put used to it. I remember him telling a story of one day he's, he's in the car coming back from summer and a voice sort of comes to him saying uh, you love this car, don't you? He was a bit taken aback and was sort of a bit like, Well, I know, I, I, I like the car, I don't love it. He came again saying, No, you love this car, don't you? He used to like telling the story because, in fairness to him, actually, he, he got rid of that car pretty quickly because he realized, Actually, do you know what? <laughs> I probably did. I was growing too fond of that car. Jonah completely overreacts to the plant's provision because he's got completely disproportionate feelings to it than what he should. So now how will he react to the loss of it? Not good. (laughs) Think of verse 7 and 8. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live for the second time he'd rather be dead than be in a world he doesn't control jonah is willing to see the destruction of this city city that's not his he's not put any work into but he is not willing to endure a minor inconvenience to himself jonah's anger with see the end of the city but is also actually robbing him of his life and then lastly we see when anger makes you lose all perspective Uh, i think most of us probably would want to feel like we're not particularly angry uh, sort of people and yet i wonder if it's actually often the little things that expose our everyday anger And it shows something about anger, actually, that it actually makes us lose perspective, really, of the size of the trigger. So I've got here a little sort of brief um, anger sort of test for you. And I wonder if any of these things might just sort of start to get you sort of bubbling away. Perhaps all these sort of everyday moments, perhaps someone jumping a queue ahead of you, that sense of injustice. That attempt to do the Superman laser eyes into the back of their head. I've not yet been able to be successful with that. Or perhaps it's the cupboard that you open and everything falls out of. And it takes about sort of a nanosecond before you start blaming the person who does it. Oh, You know, if only they would listen and if only they would just do this. And every time I tidy it up and it gets back this way. Or perhaps it's the person asking why you're angry when you're not yet angry that then makes you get angry that person who will sort of insist that you must be in a mood you must have something wrong with you and won't accept that there isn't anything or for those with sort of younger kids just treading on lego or perhaps you could fill in any sort of stubbing your toe or hurting your feet any sort of minor injuries somehow take on a life of their own beyond themselves don't they Or perhaps it's the sudden, unexpected, undesired appearance of the completely unnecessary emergency service, the grammar police. Whether it's the fact that you are the grammar police, you feel it's your place in life to always correct someone's usage of apostrophes. That it really is helping save the world from disaster. Or whether you're the person that when that happens, that just makes you want to smash your head into a wall. Whether it's the person with the loud phone call in the crowded space. You sort of never realize how disinterested you really were in people's weekend plans. Or the slow driver in the fast lane. Or one of my personal sort of pet peeves is chewing with the mouth open. Completely disproportionately angering to hear someone making, I don't know, a sandwich sound like they're chewing tar. Or maybe it's people walking slowly Or even, and we have this in our house, we started a board game sort of night through lockdown. Very quickly spiralled and became a thing that in the end was more a behavioural management thing. It was not enjoyable uh, at all. And it was dealing with the reality that some of us really struggle just with losing. It just seems to make some of us fly off the handle. Lots of little things can get us disproportionately angry. Because anger makes us lose perspective. God said to Jonah here, verse 9, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? If Jonah can repeat himself, it's better for me to die than to live, so can God. Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? You know, God is good enough to keep on at you. He's good enough to keep prodding you. He's good enough to keep asking that question you don't want to hear. That question that you wish he would shut up with. That you wish that he would just leave and put to bed. You wish he would say something different. He's good enough to keep on. Because love does that. Love does that. There's a myth in our culture, isn't there? There's a myth that love accepts unconditionally so that you cannot ever tell me that I'm wrong. You cannot ever encourage me to do better because that's what love is. Love just accepts everybody and never questions anything and never pushes for anything more from one another. That's not love. That is not love at all. Do you know what that is? That's the enabling of a user. That's someone who wants something from you and the way that they offset what it is that they want is that they don't ever actually say anything you might not like to hear. Love wants the best for us. Love is jealous for the best version of one another, isn't it? And then that means a sort of honesty, a communication, a sacrifice together, a humility to accept that. God is loving enough to keep prodding you and pushing you and asking you the question you don't want to hear. Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And again, there's a play on words. Do you do well? And the word is, do you do well? good to be angry Jonah's accused God of being evil for having forgiven the people of Nineveh and relented from his anger and now God is turning it around saying Jonah do you do good to be angry is this really good (laughs) if my forgiveness is evil is is this what you want me to become Do you do well? God turns it back on him. Are you really right to be so angry for this plant? Of course the answer is is no, isn't it? In the world's saddest campsite, living off of beans, sleeping in a deck chair in the hills, waiting for the city to go up in smoke, do you really know better than me? Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. (laughs) And yet there are actually people sometimes like this, aren't there? Who so want to push people away and can't accept anybody else in and can't ever imagine that anybody else could ever have a point on anything. That they'll just belligerently keep going to their end. We've heard Jonah's accusations his complaints and his whinges and now we hear god's response and there's an attitude adjustment for jonah in here jonah has pitied a plant and it's shown that his his love there for the plant is disproportionate to its value he's loved something that he didn't work for god has told him here and he's loved something that he's only ever had for a short time anyway you pity the plant for which you didn't labor nor did you make it grow has come into being in a night and perished in a night. And yet, look at God's pity for Nineveh. Shouldn't I pity Nineveh, that great city, where there are 120,000 plus people and much cattle? Jonah, in his anger, has lost all perspective and is destroying himself and willing to see others destroyed by it. But so, how does it end? because we don't actually hear Jonah's response, do we? In some ways, we're left with a bit of a sort of anticlimactic ending. We're sort of asking, did he ever see sense? Well, we don't hear it. But the book, its existence, its honesty, its honesty about Jonah's stupidity, shows he did eventually realize and he did turn things around and writes this story which is deeply critical of himself to show the great extent of God's grace to all. The high point of Jonah is the bit that's not even written. It's the bit that at some point, finally, Jonah repented. All along, Jonah's critique was... How do we know that Nineveh's really repented whilst he's stubbornly opposing God and not repenting? And yet at some point, he clearly did and turns things around and writes us this story telling us of his own stupidity and anger and God's grace and forgiveness. So the good news is, although you and me, much like Jonah and Nineveh, have sinned against a holy and a perfect and a righteous God. And every sin is always, like with Jonah, a counter-narrative. It's an opposing of God. It's an anti-gospel that says that God is somehow not good. God is somehow not right and not perfect. And I do need to find something out beyond him. And something that he has said no to. To find my joy and my purpose and my meaning and my satisfaction. There's something that he's withholding from me from within himself. That I need to find somewhere else. And he's wrong to tell me that that's not the case. And he's wrong to say that I ought not go out there. It's an anti-gospel, isn't it? And yet... And yet, rather than poor, his just, his deserved anger on you. Jesus, his own son, has taken it upon himself for you. Isaiah 53 tells us, "Who has believed what they heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God's righteous and just anger is spent upon his own son for you and for me so that we may no longer face it. And against all the accusations of the enemy that might say, well, how do we know that they've really repented? Where's the evidence? What are they doing that's in alignment with that? That sort of judgment that Jonah might well himself have come out with. God's grace says it is finished. So, let it go. Your anger. Stop seething, stop simmering in it. Stop letting it rob you of life and live your life through Christ who has granted you such great forgiveness and mercy himself. I'm going to pray and then we'll uh, sing a closing song together. Father God, I thank you for your grace and your love towards us that in so many ways and so many times looks somewhat reckless, maybe even. that You might look at our sort of underwhelming performance in life and think, well, do they really deserve it? Have they really earned it? And yet I thank you for your unwavering grace and mercy towards us. That through the offering of your son in our place, all that just anger that is against us for our sin for our opposing you is spent for all time jesus we thank you for having been willing to come and to live and to die in our place for us like that that we might go free that we might be able to really live holy spirit i pray might you help us To remember and to recall your grace and your love and your forgiveness towards us. That we might know security in your love and grace. And Holy Spirit, help us when we are slow to remember that. When people upset us. When we are slow to forget how much we've been forgiven. And we are fast to turn in anger and judgment towards others. To hold on to things. To let small things become big things in our hearts. Spirit, help us to recall your grace towards us. And to live as those who are gracious and forgiving and patient and merciful not judgmental, not bitter, not resentful. Spirit, help us to know both your grace towards us and to be able to express that and live that out, Lord, to those you put us around. We pray, Lord, that you might help us to be a reflection of all you are, your love and mercy and grace and compassion, in this next week that you'll send us out into if your name we ask it